0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the MBLEX Test Prep Podcast. My name is David. I am your host on this magical journey through the world of the massage and bodywork licensing exam. So before we we begin, I do have to remind everyone, of course, I do have study guides available. Just go to mblextestprep.com. There's a little section on there where you can look at all of the study guides I have. I have one dedicated for the MBLEX. I have a study guide that has 10 practice tests and pre-made flashcards inside of it. I also have another guide, uh, Kinesiology Made Easy. All of those are available on MBLexTestPrep.com. So before we um, begin, we're going to take a short break and I'll be right back. Welcome back. So let's get started. Uh, So today we are going to discuss the alimentary canal, also called, you know, a lot of people might be wondering, what is the alimentary canal? I've never even heard of that. It's the digestive tract. Uh, It's just that easy. They're the same thing, uh, kind of like the cardiovascular system is also called the circulatory system. Just a different name. That's, That's all you need to know. Okay, so we're gonna talk about the parts of the alimentary the, uh, canal, the digestive tract, how food moves through it, what each one of those structures does. And uh, I mean, yeah, let's begin. Okay, so I take a bite of food, right? Take a bite of food. Uh, geez, what did I, well, I guess, I haven't eaten anything yet today. Uh, I usually start my day with a protein shake. But let's say I take a bite of, uh, I don't know, an apple. I take a bite of an apple. Um, The first part of digestion begins when I take that bite of that apple. So the food enters the body into the mouth, which is also called the oral cavity. Okay. So inside the mouth, we have, of course, teeth. What else do we have inside the mouth that can help us start to break down the food? that we have just taken a bite of? We've got the teeth, of course. When we uh, chew our food, the the teeth kind of grind the food down, make it easier to swallow, right? What pushes the food against the teeth or or between the teeth that also helps to uh, break down the food in the mouth, in the oral cavity? It's a pretty strong muscle. It's the tongue. The tongue helps to digest our food, to break down food by pushing food between our teeth, against our teeth. That helps kind of grind it down. And then there's something else inside the mouth that helps us to break down food. Without it, you wouldn't be able to swallow the food, most likely. It's Saliva which comes from our salivary glands. Now, we have a few, a few different types of salivary glands, all dependent on where they're located. What the, They're named after where they're located in the body. Okay, So our, well, I mean some of them are. Our parotid glands uh, are up kind of in front of the ears, uh, sit on top of the maxilla. Those are the largest salivary glands in the body, the parotid gland. Okay, so those empty into the mouth. If you have mumps, those become inflamed uh, and it can make one side of your face look really puffy, really mad. Okay. Uh, sublingual salivary glands are under the tongue. So, you know, some people can, can kind of shoot saliva out of their mouth uh, a pretty long distance. If you haven't seen people do that, um, I don't know, go on YouTube or something, look that up. It's pretty weird. Uh, those are the sublingual salivary glands. Sub means under. Lingual means referring to the tongue. So it's salivary glands under the tongue, et cetera. Whatever you get it. Um, so saliva enters into the mouth that that gives the food a little bit of lubrication, helps us to uh, uh, break down the food, um, and allows us to actually swallow the food. Now some people do the do what's called the um, the the oh what's it uh, Uh, What are the names of the crackers? The the saltine challenge, saltine challenge, where you try to eat uh, about six, uh, as many saltines as you can. I think it's like six saltines in a row, uh, within like a minute, and try to try to actually swallow them. The saltines absorb all the saliva, and you're not able to actually uh, swallow all of the crackers because you don't have the saliva. Um, So. Saliva helps us to swallow our food. So we chew our food, which is called mastication, of course. And the strongest muscle in the body by proportionate size is responsible for that action. It is the masseter. Okay? Uh, Buccinator also helps to kind of push food back in towards the mouth uh, when it gets on the outside of the teeth. helps push back in. Uh, that muscle also helps us to purse our lips, um, whistling, blowing, stuff like that. You use buccinator. So masseter is the strongest muscle that perform in the body by proportionate size. Um, and it performs mastication. Chewing, it helps to elevate the jaw, which closes the teeth, which squishes the food. Masseter. Okay, so we swallow the food. It's it's then known as a bolus. Okay, so in the mouth, it's food. Once it's chewed and swallowed, it becomes a bolus, all right? So the bolus moves into the throat. Another name for the throat is the pharynx. Okay, when we swallow, there is a small flap that um, that hangs from the roof of the mouth. I'm sure you you can picture it right now. When we swallow, that kind of gets sucked up, and what it does... Uh, it blocks food and fluids from going up into the nasal cavity. That's called the uvula. Okay? There's another flap on the bottom of the pharynx, the throat, that prevents food, when, it, when we swallow, closes and prevents food from moving into the larynx or the voice box. That's called the epiglottis. Okay? So the epiglottis is responsible for us not choking. And if we choke, that means food has gone through the epiglottis into the larynx, or maybe even further down into the trachea, which is not good. Okay, so the epiglottis and the uvula prevent food from going places it's not supposed to go. That's going to be a common theme with a few of these structures, prevents things from going where they're not supposed to go. So the uvula prevents food and fluids from moving into the nasal cavity. The epiglottis prevents food and fluids from moving into the respiratory system, the larynx. Okay, so we swallow. The epiglottis and the uvula block the food. Food moves, The bolus moves from the pharynx down into the esophagus. The esophagus is just a long tube. Okay? And the, the job of the esophagus is to force food down into the stomach that's all it does and it does this it doesn't just kind of sit there and food just slowly slides through it on its own uh gravity i mean if if you were upside down and you took a bite of food the food would still move into your stomach and there's a reason for that it's called peristalsis okay so smooth muscle in all of our hollow organs except the heart performs peristalsis. So it's rhythmic contractions. So just think of it kind of like waves. Each time a wave occurs, it forces the food down a little further through whatever organ it is, in this case, the esophagus. Okay? So those rhythmic contractions slowly force the food down through the esophagus until it enters the stomach. And that's basically all the esophagus does. It's just a a tube that food travels through, okay? So once food is in the stomach, then uh, sphincters, ring-like bands of muscle on each end of the stomach, the entrance and the exit will close off. And that prevents the food from moving either backwards into the esophagus or forwards into the small intestine. And we'll talk about those um, sphincters in a bit. So the stomach also contains smooth muscle So when food enters into the stomach, it starts contracting and churning and squeezing the food. The stomach also makes stomach acid, like hydrochloric acid or pepsin. And that's actually where the the soda Pepsi got its name. It used to be some sort of um, pharmaceutical to alleviate stomach problems uh of some sort i'm not 100 percent certain on the on the absolute uh history of pepsi but it all started as something to help with stomach problems uh named after the stomach acid pepsin and now you know so pepsin and hydrochloric acid mix with the stomach uh contents the food the bolus and help to break it down. Now these are highly acidic. I mean, they are acids, right? The stomach is constantly replacing the mucus lining inside of it. Every few days, it gets it gets a brand new lining of mucus inside that inside the stomach. Uh, when the stomach acid actually eats all the way through that mucus, if there's too much stomach acid, it can eat through all that mucus and start eating at the lining of the stomach. Uh, that's called an ulcer. Uh, they can be very painful. You can end up with Stuff like bloody stools, really painful. Uh, Stomach issue, not good. Just get a drink of water there. Okay, so our stomach breaks down all the food, right? Churns the food, breaks it down. The stomach acids break it down even further. Now, why do we want to break down our food? Why does the stomach break down the food? What's the point? The stomach breaks down the food so we can get nutrients out of the food and we get the nutrients out of the food so our body can then start to absorb the nutrients and put them to use so that we can actually you know live which is kind of important okay so once the food has been uh this process takes usually eight to twelve hours to complete uh the entire process of digestion so somebody says they have stomach issues from a meal that they ate just a couple hours earlier, or they have something like diarrhea and they think it's because of a lunch they ate a few hours earlier. That's probably not the case. It's, it's probably going to be something that they ate earlier or maybe even the day before. Um, it's, it's almost never just that one specific meal that is giving them that kind of problem. Um, Anyway, so the, the the food is then broken down into nutrients that we can we can actually use. Right at that point, that sphincter at the exit, at the at the pylorus of the stomach opens, and then food moves into the small intestine. At that point, it's called chyme. Okay, C H Y M E chyme. chyme. Um, Now, before we go any further, I want to talk about some accessory organs that we have in the digestive system. So accessory organs are organs that help us digest our food, but aren't organs that food passes through, if that makes sense. So they help us to digest our food, but they don't do anything like absorbing nutrients. They don't uh, digest food necessarily. Food does not pass through these organs. Okay, so we'll start with the largest internal, heaviest internal organ in the body, the liver. The liver is responsible for detoxifying the blood. So after a massage, somebody should not go drinking because during the course of the massage, the body gets rid of a lot of metabolic waste from tissues. It enters into the bloodstream. And one way the body gets rid of it is filtering that stuff through the liver. So the liver is already working over time. Uh, and if you introduce alcohol into the equation, it's, it's going to put a lot of strain on the liver. So, people with alcoholism can often have liver problems because the liver is trying to get rid of the toxin alcohol from the blood. And alcohol, I mean, it's poison. Alcohol is poison. Um, even though some alcohol can taste absolutely delicious. But I digress. Uh, so the, the liver tries to get that stuff out, which is why it can be damaged if you have too much of it in the body, All right, That's, that's one of the main organs that alcohol can really affect. So the liver detoxifies the blood and it produces bile. Okay. So bile is kind of a yellowish, uh, substance. I'm sure some of us have, have had way too many instances where we vomited and then, um, You vomit so much, nothing else comes out except this yellow substance. That is bile, okay? So bile helps to emulsify or break down fats. Okay, so very important when we're trying to break down fats for for use in our body. So the liver produces the bile. It does not store the bile, however. After the liver produces the bile, it empties the bile into what's called the gallbladder, okay? So, bladders are things that just hold substances, like the urinary bladder just holds urine inside of it. The gallbladder just holds bile inside of it until it's ready for use, okay? So, when, when the body is digesting and food moves from the stomach into the small intestine, The gallbladder will release bile into the small intestine, into the very first part of the small intestine called the duodenum. And that's where the last part of digestion takes place, inside the first part of the small intestine, the duodenum. That's when bile is introduced to the chyme. All the fats are then broken down as much as possible. And then after that, nutrients start to be absorbed. Uh, in the second part of the small intestine called the jejunum, okay, so one more accessory organ that we have before we get really kind of more in depth on the small intestine is the pancreas. okay, so the pancreas is kind of weird. it produces hormones and it also produces digestive juices which help to further digest our food, okay, so the pancreas produces the digestive juices, it travels uh, through the same route that bile enters into the duodenum, and then that's where those juices mix with the chyme, in the duodenum. Okay, so it also produces insulin and glucagon, so insulin helps to break down sugar in the bloodstream, glucagon helps to increase the amount of sugar we have in the bloodstream. And they'll go; those go directly into the blood. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are our accessory organs. So the liver detoxifies blood, creates bile. The gallbladder stores bile and then empties it into the duodenum. The pancreas makes insulin and glucagon and digestive juices and empties those uh, digestive juices into the duodenum. So those are all of our... Um, Accessory organs. Okay. Now we're going back into the main digestive tract. So we've already talked about, what, the oral cavity, the pharynx, the esophagus, the stomach. Now, the next part, food leaves the stomach and enters into the small intestine. So there are three parts of the small intestine, three parts that make up the small intestine. Here, The order of these parts that food moves through is the duodenum, then the jejunum, and then the ilium. Now, it is important to know the difference between this ilium and the ilium that's part of your pelvis. This one is spelled I-L-E-U-M. The one that's part of the pelvis is I-L-I-U-M. So, I don't know, figure out a way to differentiate between those so you don't get those confused. Uh, Definitely important in the medical field to make sure you are referring to the right thing even if something is spelled so similarly. Okay, so the duodenum, as we discussed before, is the first part of the small intestine, and that's the last portion where digestion takes place. Okay, so that's the last last part of the digestive system where digestion takes place. So bile and uh, digestive juices from the pancreas mix with the chyme that's in the small intestine and help to finish the digestion. Okay. Then the chyme moves further into the small intestine into the jejunum. The jejunum is where the majority of digest or absorption, excuse me, absorption takes place. Okay? So the nutrients that we've just extracted from all of that food then is absorbed by the small intestine into the bloodstream and that's how the nutrients are distributed to the rest of the body. Okay? It's through the jejunum And then the ileum is the last part of the small intestine, and that just kind of cleans up any last remaining absorption that needs to take place. And then the chyme moves further on into the digestive system. Uh, So the last part of the digestive system that you need to know is the large intestine. So the food, the chyme, moves from the ileum into the first part of the large intestine, which is called the cecum. Okay. Now, when it moves from the ileum, from the small intestine into the large intestine, it goes from chyme to feces. At that point, when it's in the large intestine, it's feces, okay? So, one of the main functions of the large intestine is to absorb water from whatever's left. At this point, it's waste, okay? But there are still nutrients like water inside of it. And water is very important. You need water to survive, of course. Um, So the large intestine absorbs water. Now, if your large intestine doesn't absorb enough water, you might get diarrhea. Because you have too much water in your feces. If your large intestine absorbs too much water, you might get constipation. Because there's not enough water to allow the feces to move efficiently through your large intestine. Okay, so... Now, it kinda, it's kind of weird. If you have diarrhea, you think you have too much water, but that can actually lead to dehydration because there's, there is too much water in the feces. You're losing too much water from your feces. So if you have diarrhea, you got to make sure that you are properly hydrating because you're losing a lot of fluids every time, well, you know. Speaking of, I'm going to take a quick drink of water here. And, anyway, so, where were we? Uh, the large intestine absorbs water, okay? Once it absorbs water, I mean, all throughout the large intestine, it's, it's absorbing water. So, again, we've got peristalsis, just like we had peristalsis in the esophagus. Same thing with the small intestine. We have peristalsis moving the, the kind through the small intestine, those rhythmic contractions, okay? So, the... Large intestine, same thing. We have peristalsis, that smooth muscle, rhythmically contracting and forcing food through the large intestine. So the water is being absorbed from feces. The food eventually makes its way to the rectum. And then defecation. Then you poop. And that's how we get uh, the waste out of our body. Okay, so those are the main structures of the digestive tract, the alimentary canal. Now, I did say we have a couple other things that we got to talk about, right, with the digestive system. Between certain organs, we have sphincters. Now, like I said earlier, we, a sphincter is a ring-like band of muscle that prevents food from either moving further in the digestive system or it even prevents food from moving backwards in the digestive system. Okay, so these sphincters... Uh, there are four main sphincters that you need to know. Okay, the first one is between the pharynx and the esophagus. That is called the esophageal sphincter. It kind of makes sense. Some people call it the upper esophageal sphincter. So if there's an upper, there should be a lower. right? So the upper esophageal sphincter, or just the esophageal sphincter, is between the pharynx and the esophagus. When that opens up, food moves from the pharynx into the esophagus. The next sphincter we have is located between the esophagus and the stomach. And this sphincter is called the cardiac sphincter. Now I know you're thinking, what? It has nothing to do with the heart, right? Digestive system has nothing to do with the heart. Why is it called the cardiac sphincter? The part of the stomach uh, that the esophagus Connects to find a picture of the stomach and the esophagus and how they connect. That part of the stomach that the esophagus connects to is called the cardia of the stomach. Don't ask me why, I don't know. I've I've tried looking, I don't know. If somebody knows, send me an email, MBLEX test, or excuse me, massage test prep at gmail.com. Send me an email so we can all learn. Um, But that part of the stomach is called the cardia. So the cardiac sphincter is located between the esophagus and the stomach, also called the lower esophageal sphincter for some people. Just remember, the heart does not have sphincters. The heart has valves. So if you see cardiac sphincter, you know it's not part of the heart. It's part of the digestive system. Okay, so the cardiac sphincter allows food to move into the stomach, and then it will tighten up and close to prevent food from moving backwards. Now, sometimes stomach acid can go through that into the esophagus, That's when you get heartburn. Uh, Not fun, right? When you vomit, that actually opens up, and then food moves backwards. So very few instances, it actually wants to open if there's food in the stomach. That's one of them. Um, So that'll close and prevent food from moving backwards in the digestive system. The next sphincter will also close when food is in the stomach, it is named after the part of the stomach that it attaches to, the bottom portion, the pylorus. This is the pyloric sphincter. The pyloric sphincter connects the stomach to the small intestine. So when the food is digested, it moves from the stomach through the pyloric sphincter into the small intestine. Okay, And the last sphincter is located between the small intestine and the large intestine. This sphincter is named after the parts of those two organs where they meet, where they come together. It is called the ileocecal sphincter. So the ileum connects to the cecum. The the exit of the small intestine connects to the entrance of the large intestine. The ileum connects to the cecum. That creates the ileocecal sphincter. So food moves from the small intestine through the ileocecal sphincter into the large intestine. And that just about wraps it up for the digestive system, all the important stuff that you need to know. So when we come back, question of the week. Welcome back. It is now time for question of the week. Ah, That was dumb. Sorry. All right, question of the week this week, here we go. Function of red blood cells, clot to prevent hemorrhage, fight diseases and eat dead cells, transport oxygen and carbon dioxide, transport blood cells throughout the body. All right, so let's identify our keyword. word. Uh, it, all, it says blood cells, so we, we know it's a specific type of blood cell. Red is the key word, function of red blood cells, okay? So we have to think about what do red blood cells do. I know know it seems obvious, but it's really easy to confuse things if you speed them through it. So red blood cells are what we're looking for, okay? So I know that red blood cells are responsible for transportation, and that's it. Okay, so I can eliminate two answers. I can eliminate clot to prevent hemorrhage, and I can eliminate fight diseases and eat dead cells. All red blood cells do is transport. So even in the answers, I can see a key word, transport. So that that took my chances of getting that question right from 25% all the way up to 50%. Okay, so now the the only answers I have left, transport oxygen and carbon dioxide, or transport blood cells throughout the body. So transport blood cells throughout the body, red blood cells are already blood cells, so they don't transport other blood cells throughout the body. So I can eliminate that one altogether. So even if you didn't know it, eliminating those answers just gave us the answer, transports oxygen and carbon dioxide. Okay, so red blood cells transport oxygen and carbon dioxide throughout the body. Those, Oxygen and carbon dioxide attached to the hemoglobin, an iron compound in the cytoplasm of the erythrocytes, the red blood cells, and that's what allows those substances to travel throughout the body. The red blood cells transport oxygen and carbon dioxide throughout the body. Okay, so that about wraps it up today. Um... Again, special shout-out to my dear friends Stabby Unicorn for the intro music, uh, the Brian Titus Trio for our uh, the music that plays between segments. Again, I do have those study guides. Go to mblackstestprep.com to check them out. And until next time, this is David saying farewell.